here is a jerk. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X Men number 168, the April 1983 issue, which was released, released in January, on January 11th, 1983. The cover price of 60 cents. And the title of this one, I'm not going to give it away yet. It's coming, though. Okie doke. The cover of this features Kitty Pride in her X-Men trainee uniform backed up against the wall with some little slash marks on her stomach and her leg. She's got a tear dripping down from her eye, but it's not a tear of, like, fright and sadness. This is a tear of sheer strength and anger whatever's coming at her she's ready for it don't put kitty in a corner <laughs> speaking of which my wife just went to go see dirty dancing the musical <laughs> really what <laughs> there's a dirty dancing musical yeah and apparently uh so there's a evil dead musical which we saw I knew about that yeah we saw that a while back and that's very funny it's tongue-in-cheek they're very much making fun of the subject material but i asked uh, my wife if the dirty dancing people were you know, was this tongue in cheek kind of like making fun of the source material? And she's like, there were some funny parts, but no, they, they were playing it pretty straight. <laughs> I was like, really? All right. So because of that, we uh, watched the movie and I don't think I'd ever seen the movie from start to finish. I don't think I've ever seen the movie either. Well, I enjoyed it because of the time period. Well, so first of all, it's reflecting the 1960s. But it was made in the 1980s. So it's a very 1980s styled film. I get that one always confused with Footloose. Footloose is another great movie. Footloose is better than Dirty Dancing in my opinion. Uh, but it's made around the same time frame of the 80s. And there's a lot of things that happen in the movie that as you're watching it, we're, we're kind of like uh, we, we are um, have been trained to expect formulas in our movies. And these movies don't follow those formulas so every now and then they'll do something and you'd be like oh i know it's gonna happen and then like nothing ever happens like something totally different happens <laughs> and you're like i didn't expect that at all um yeah or they'll just introduce characters that they're like you should know this person but there's been no like introduction or setup it's just that person's now there it's hard to explain but that's patrick swayze right patrick swayze was in dirty dancing yes and jennifer gray i get that confused with roadhouse patrick swayze was also in roadhouse that's another movie i haven't seen uh Start to finish. I should watch that next. The DVD or Blu-ray has a random track with Kevin Smith. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not sure why, but it's funny. Uh, because um, the guy from Mystery Science Theater 3000, not Joel, the other one. Okay. I can't remember his name. Mike Nelson. He wrote a book in which he, I mean, it wasn't all about this, but it was, uh, he proclaimed Roadhouse to be the best movie ever made. And so then he goes and writes like essays or chapters about other movies and then how they relate or compare to Roadhouse. It's, okay. It's, it's funny. What does that have to do with Kevin Smith? Well, Kevin Smith's a funny movie guy and Mike <laughs> Nelson's a funny movie guy. And I don't know. It's the first thing that came to my mind when you said Kevin Smith did a commentary track. Okay. <laughs> Makes no sense. I mean, it would have made more sense if Mike Nelson would have done the commentary track, but whatever. <laughs> I will have to check that out. You should. Anyways, uh, <laughs> let's open this thing up because that's when we get our title. Professor Xavier is a jerk. Oh, yeah. It's a classic splash panel of Kitty wearing... What kind of a jacket is this? 
It's a winter jacket. It's like a ski jacket, but I thought in the 80s there was a name for it. Oh, uh, there might have been. It's super 80s, though. And then she's got like these pink tight pants on. Uh, and she it's it's winter out. It's cold. And she's got her gloves on. And yep, she's pointing right at us. Uh, it's brought to you by Chris Claremont, Paul Smith on pencils, Bob Wiasek, inking Tom Orzakowski, lettering Glennis Ween, coloring Louis Jones, editing, and Jim Shooter, editing and chiefing. Him Shooter. Him Shooter. Well, we find out that uh, Kitty was proclaiming Professor X's jerkedness to Ilyana. He's the cruelest, meanest, most heartless man on earth. Point of detail, Ilyana is wearing that little pendant that she got in Limbo. He's a clone. <laughs> yes, he's a clone. Is it really him if it's a different body? <laughs> How can you know that uh, the soul was fully transferred? I I don't know. <laughs> they really glossed over that and it really bothers me. There's a pop song about that somewhere. <laughs> is there? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just guessing. <laughs> okay. Uh, they really glossed over that because it's like, did, did Sikorsky like physically remove the brood queen's brain and put it in the professor? Or is it just like they sucked out his psychic essence and injected it into this clone? I think I'm a clone now. There's that song. There's also that clone song. Uh, I think it's, it's by like Gary Newman or something. We're all clones. Oh, well. <laughs> there was a an attack of the clones there was that was that was a horrible movie i just wish you know I mean, it just seems like they would have made more of a deal of this whole cloning aspect i mean don't you think that there'd be parts of the x-men that'd be like i don't trust him anymore or wolverine should be like he doesn't smell the same <laughs> yeah uh-huh. that would that would have been neat i just i'm gonna keep bringing this up because i don't want our listeners to forget that this is a freaking clone because i think pretty soon in the comic books they're all gonna forget yeah well they've already they've I think they mentioned it in this issue, but I, this is probably... Uh, it's probably it. Yeah. Well, Kitty and uh, Ileana are walking around outside, and Kitty is just mopey and sad that the professor has bounced her down to the new mutants. Yeah, she doesn't think it's fair, and she says, why are you treating me like a child? Or why, why is the professor treating me like a child? And Ileana says, because you're acting like one. Yeah, she says uh, something about like, um, well, she, so she goes on about this whole it's not fair thing. And Ileana's like, look, now don't tell me what's not fair. I spent half my life in a demonic limbo. <laughs> but we haven't talked about that. Ha- being friends with Ileana must be hard because it's like, <laughs> I'm hungry. You don't know what it means to be hungry. <laughs> I spent seven years in demonic limbo serving Belasco and she he never fed me. I'm cold. You don't know what cold is like. Limbo is so cold. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired. You don't know tired. All right, anyways. So they they head off to Salem Center for their dance lessons with Stevie Hunter. And from a window above, a wing observes them. Is it a wing? I mean, Uh, we know it's a wing, but imagine if you didn't know what it was. Does it look like a wing? No, it looks like the corner of a pillow. (laughs) A pillow watches. (laughs) It says, unaware that they're being watched. So a sentient pillow watches them. But I mean, on the very next page, we see some fangs and eye. Very familiar purple hue of a creature. I wonder, as a, as a, as a reader, if I would have recognized this. Probably.
Probably not. I mean, enough issues have passed that you've probably forgotten. And you're like, oh, you know, this is an evil creature. Because it says right here, it's got alien eyes. We just got done with the whole brood thing. He hasn't been here for long. He hates the weather and he's been hunting. Uh, and the hunting's been poor. Ever since he ate that pterodactyl. And he just saw, yes, he eat, he ate Nightcrawler's pterodactyl. Terry! <laughs> and then uh, he decides that that is about to change. So the viewer could be like, oh, man, this purple thing is hunting kitties and Ilyanas. Uh-oh. <laughs> well. They never really follow up the that he decides is about to change. Yes, they do. They do? Oh, okay. And I'll point it out. Great. <laughs> Wolverine is downstairs, and he's pulling the first of one of his many loner trips. I like these. Yeah. They make sense. Um, I haven't looked ahead, Adam. Is this setting up for like the Wolverine miniseries? It is. He's headed to the Canadian Rockies. Sweet. And uh, that's where the mini... Spoilers, that's where the miniseries opens. I didn't know that. I haven't read the miniseries. Way to go, Adam. Well, that's why I said spoilers. You're supposed to shut your ears and go, la, 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 la. I heard today that, and this is probably old news, but uh, Hugh Jackman's doing one more role as Wolverine and then he's done. Well... There's speculation about whether or not that includes X-Men Apocalypse. They, he's, he's saying the last Wolverine movie, Wolverine 3, will be his last role as Wolverine. Why would he be in X-Men Apocalypse? I don't know, because uh, he was in X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll see about that. Uh, and the other thing that, that also made me just feel a little old is that uh, when did... When did X-Men come out? Was that 2000? I think it was 2000, yeah. That was 15 years ago. Yep. <laughs> that, was, that was a while ago. Well, when did X-Men number one come out? Uh, 1964. Or 1991, was it? 1990. Well, if you're talking about Jim Lee, that's that's 91. Yeah. I, yeah. Both of those were very long ago, too. One of those I wasn't even born for. <laughs> Same here. Well, anyways, um, Nightcrawler uh, is... Bidding his friend a, a fond adieu. Do you mind if we give uh, Kitty and Ileana a ride uh, while I drive you to the airport? Nope. Good. <laughs> Nightcrawler wants to know if there's anything that they could do to cheer Kitty up. And then they have kind of a back and forth about whether or not the professor's making the right decision. And they don't really come to a conclusion. They argue both sides uh, at both points. It seems like they both... Agree and disagree with uh, the professor, but they both ultimately come down on the line of the fact that Kitty has uh, been in the line of fire, saved everybody's lives, and that's all that really matters. Yeah, I mean, I got the fact that Nightcrawler wants Kitty to be an X-Man, but he's playing devil's advocate. I mean, like, right. but, you know, she's young. But Night or, I mean, Wolverine seems to be on the same side of the fence the whole time saying like she's strong she's proved herself it's not fair but war's not fair life's not fair so she should be an x-man well right but he he's there's this bit where he says she could be as great a liability to the x-men as an asset nick rar i can't deny that but then he goes back and says a decision can be logical and sensible and still wrong. <laughs> so no real conclusion there. But I mean, that kind of shows some realism. I mean, they're struggling internally. They want Kitty to be a part of their team, but they also want her to be safe. So that's good. I like Paul Smith's Wolverine, um, but he's, he still seems to be working out the kinks. 
he's a little lower left hand corner panel. Yes, he's a little flat in that panel, but otherwise, he's I actually like his art. Yeah, it's I, nice. I think uh, I think younger me didn't like this artwork so much. It feels like it's like somewhere in the middle of Cockrum and Burn. Yeah, he's definitely got his own style, but you know he's getting there. Anyways, Charles Xavier, he's in the danger room. Uh, Lilandra's running a scenario here. I mean, it's not really much of a scenario. It's just a parallel bar that uh, he has to pull himself up on and walk against so that he can get out of the psychosomatic, unable-to-walk condition. And that's when she does mention that he's a clone. To save Charles' life, a new body was cloned for him and his mind transplanted. This one is a perfect physical specimen. And how? I had a couple of augmentations made personally. <laughs> Where the original legs were crippled, these ones are should be able to walk with ease, but he cannot because of his dang psychosomatic disorder. Yep. It's all in my mind, he says, and then falls. My socks are too 80s. <laughs> too tall. <laughs> Must push them down. Lilandra comes running and she's like, don't worry, we'll figure this out together. It's kind of because I actually have an empire to go rule and I'm probably going to leave. <laughs> I'll see ya. You should come with me. I can't. I can't leave the X-Men again because last time I did that, Jean Grey died. Do you blame me for that? Nope, it's my fault. Oh, you're damn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but there are more mutants appearing every day. I seem to be the only person that is equipped to help them. How can I abandon them? Uh, how could I live with myself if I did that? So the uh, the purple wings are once again watching, uh, this time Lilandra and Charles, as they both make love or something. I don't know. <laughs> he still hasn't fed. He's beginning to get irritated. He will <laughs> eat their love. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Kitty's at dance rehearsal and she's missing every single step and Stevie is getting mad at her for wasting her time. Hey, there's an address here. We should go to 73 Willingdon Road, Salem Center, New York and demand dance lessons. <laughs> Somebody answers the door and they're like, for God's sakes, you people, get a life. <laughs> <laughs> what? We thought we were original. Did you? Did you really think you were original? <laughs> get off my property. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Stevie's trying to give the lesson. Kitty's mind is clearly on other things. Uh, they get in a little argument. And uh, it ends with Kitty saying, Darn, darn, darn. Why am I yelling at you? It isn't you I'm mad at. It's the stupid professor. Much different tone than that last uh, episode of ours. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> And so Stevie's basically like, look, if you want this, if you got a professor's a reasonable man, you got to present a big or a nice case and convince him that you should be an X-Man and not a new mutant. Gosh, Stevie, you're right. Incredible. I've been telling her this for a week. Why didn't she listen to me? Because every time I talk to you, all you do is talk about being trapped by Belasco. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, uh, Storm, uh, actually it's the following morning, it's the it's the hush that envelopes the estate prior to the dawn, and Storm is wandering about outside, uh, and I, this little piece doesn't actually get resolved in this issue. No, it doesn't. Um, 
So I hope this might be the beginning of a new storyline. But uh, Storm's walking around and she gets naked as she does, right? Yeah, it, it's very cold out and she gets naked because the weather doesn't affect her. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's an African princess and her queen goddess, goddess, I suppose. And, uh, you know, that's what you do as an African goddess. You get naked. You get naked. But then she can't control the weather and she gets really cold and she has to put her blankets back on. And, and uh, yeah, I was, I was wondering if this is connected to the fact that her her body is completely different, but I guess we'll find out. Oh, right, because for all intents and purposes, she's a clone. Right. <laughs> Man. Anyways, uh, yeah, so the wind, she's unable to control the weather, she's cold, and both of those facts bother her to no, no end. Um, what does this mean? Even as she voices her anguished cry and suspects the answer, she suspects the answer, and the realization chills her heart far more than the air does her bones. But we will not find out what any of this means, this issue. Right. So, I mean, that leads me to believe that it must be something, we should be able to clue in on that. Hopefully. Who knows? Maybe we'll forget. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) Let's face it, I already forgot. (laughs) What are we talking about? (laughs) So then we get a montage of Kitty going through different tactics to try to convince the professor that she should be an X-Man. Somehow this has got to be a classic 80s montage. Let's get physical. Physical. Come on, professor. Get physical. And we get uh, so we get a panel of them playing chess and she's like, I'm really smart. Oh, by the way, checkmate. And then we get a panel of her. Looks like they're she's debating uh, in the danger room. The professor's working out. And then there's a panel where she's working out in the danger room. And she says, you were right, professor. I can phase objects along with me. And the more I practice and hone my concentration, the greater mass I can affect. Which, you know, again, kind of leads us to believe that the God Loves Man Kills was out of continuity, but then brought back into continuity as as we learned. Yes. So interesting. Or flattery. Gosh, Professor, I don't know what I would do without you. I tell everyone that my professor's the handsomest, nicest, most wonderful man. Professor. Professor, I like to call him. It's not working yet, but let's switch our attention over to a warmer climate where Scott Summers is on the docks. He's on the docks. He's... uh. He's looking for a the trawler Arcadia, which is skippered by a young woman named Elitis Forrester. Remember her? I do. And he's got some time to kill because, as you'll recall, not God Loves Man Kills and not Annual Six, but the issue before that, a long time ago, uh, Corsair said, you've got grandparents in Alaska. So Corsair's kind of running some errands, I guess, catching up on some bills or whatever. And they're, some clothes, apparently. <laughs> they're going to meet up a little bit later and then head up to Alaska. So I think they're in Florida right now. Yeah, they're uh, Shark yeah. Bay, Florida. Shark Bay, Florida. He uh, he sneaks up and re- replaces the, uh, how do you say that, Paolo? I don't know. I think that's his name, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I've, I oh. just don't know how to pronounce it. Paolo. Pa- Paolo. Sure. Uh Paolo is working with uh, Lee Forrester and Cyclops sneaks in and replaces Paolo. And uh, I guess Paolo gives him a good grin and is like, yeah, yeah, she like this. This, yeah, this total stranger that's going to give her this wrench. This seems like a great idea. 
Well, I'm a, I'm assuming that he recognizes Cyclops. I hope so, anyways. Yeah. Or or maybe Lee's been. I mean, what if Lee's been like complaining about Scott this whole time, and Paolo's like, "Yeah, that guy is a jerk," and here he shows up. <laughs> Actually, if you take this panel where he's handing him off the wrench completely out of context of the entire comment uh, comic, it just looks like Cyclops is making a pass at Paolo, <laughs> and Paolo is enjoying it. <laughs> No words, Paolo. No words. <laughs> let's just oh. let's just gaze at each other. How did you know I felt that way? <laughs> Here you go, boss. A blasted time. Hey, you are Paolo. Raid not. Merry Christmas, Lee. <laughs> That's pretty presumptuous. <laughs> and she she's whoa, Scott. She jumps into her his arms, and there is a big embrace. So next thing you know, they're walking on the beach and she's wearing short shorts and he's got his, he's wearing the same outfit, but he's got his, uh, wait, his pants were pretty short to begin with, but he still rolls them up. Well, I guess they're walking in the water. Yeah. It's a, it's a romantic stroll after a leisurely dinner that they had along a sun setting beach with palm trees. It's very picturesque. Uh, Scott goes over the details of Alaska, the grandparents, and hopes that they like him. And Lee's like, what's there not to like? Are you coming back to Florida? I'd like to. To stay here for a visit. You look different. (laughs) I let my hair grow, but don't change the subject. It's nice. So are you. Nice. Nice. I'm going to walk out on you again. (laughs) Listen, baby, I don't want a commitment and I don't want to lead you on. That's okay. Let's make love in the palm tree. (laughs) It's effectively what happens here. Because, I mean, he does. he's, He's kind of a jerk, right? I mean, he walked out on her for months on end. Even when he didn't have to, because I think there was like a break in between missions where he could have been like, Lee. But anyways, uh, not only that, uh, so he shows up kind of, I don't know what he's expecting here. Uh, And then he does offer to kind of do the right thing and be like, okay, look, I'm going to go. I realized this was probably a lot to take and I'm kind of showing up and leaving your world. And and she's like, no, take one step, Buster, and I'll deck you. (laughs) While we have each other, let's be happy. And then you can go. You know, you know what I mean. So I'm I'm pretty sure they're doing it. Probably. Speaking of doing it, people we haven't seen in a long time, Amanda Sefton, she shows up at her Central Park, New York City apartment. Uh, She just got back from a grueling month on her airline's flagship. Round the world run. And the place is lit by candles and it's lovely, except that her roommates are out of the out of out on duty flying out of the country. So no one's supposed to be here. Hiya, toots. You. And I want to know why isn't Nightcrawler naked? Why is he wearing his costume? It makes no sense. I mean, I mean, maybe he could be wearing shorts or something. Right. I mean, I think he should. Since there's a there is a. There is a little miniature Nightcrawler doll, which he calls a Bamf doll, yep. which is precariously placed in front of his junk. <laughs> so why isn't he naked? And they're not ready to do that in a Marvel comic yet, <laughs> but I think what may have been more appropriate would be like a Hugh Hefner type of ensemble of him just kind of laying there in that. Or he could at least be topless. Yeah, just have his shirt off. Yeah, just be wearing some fancy pants yeah some some like 
purpley, velvety, or whatever pants. Pajamas. Pajama bottoms. Exactly. Pajama jamas. <laughs> She's. He's got a glass of wine held up by his tail. Another glass of wine waiting on the table with wine chilling on ice. A little gift sitting in front of him. And he's like, uh, I know you have your pamph to protect you, but I thought for Christmas you might, for a change, prefer the real thing. She says, yum! So, <laughs> so they're doing it. Um, I just realized, and I I read this earlier, uh, and I didn't realize it then. This is the second mention of Christmas, yes. and it's Christmas again. This is a Christmas episode, Christmas issue. Usually with Christmas, we get uh, a little more of a, uh, a fanfare, I suppose. It's like, Merry Christmas, X-Men, hope you survive, or something like that. <laughs> right, no. But this time, it's just like, it's it's very subtle. I like it. Uh, I like it. Me I like too. It. They, they kind of wore me out with the Doctor Who Christmas specials, because it's like every Christmas, something crazy is happening. It's like, all right. After the third year where crazy stuff's happening on Christmas, aren't the people of Earth like, oh, my God, get ready for Christmas. <laughs> Everybody in the basement. Well, they started making them not happening on Earth. Well, exactly. I think that's because they got to the fourth Christmas special. Like, OK, look, we can't do anything on Earth because <laughs> now it's just getting stupid. But for a little while there, it's getting kind of ridiculous. Very rarely are the Christmas specials any good. I have yet to see the last Christmas special uh, with Peter Capaldi and uh, Jenna. I, I could spoil something for you, but I won't. I know that she doesn't leave. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nick, Nick Frost is in it. Do you like Nick Frost? I do like Nick Frost. I should watch it. I just haven't. I guess I've just been. I generally find the Christmas specials to be boring. Yeah, they're not very good. There was. I liked one of them there was one that that was good it wasn't the titanic one no um so for for me it was probably different for both of us but for me it was the one where there's uh, i think there's a shark in it (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's the uh the frozen girl the girl that's frozen and he keeps unfreezing her for like a couple seconds at a time or something like that i don't remember that one sounds interesting though (laughs) yeah i don't i don't remember uh which doctor was it it was uh, Matt Smith. Okay. Well, anyways, um, Kitty has not gotten anywhere with the professor. Uh, she's got a oddly sized four-sided Rubik's Cube. Well. I'm not four-sided, but but four by four rather than three by three. Well, Rubik's Cubes, they're actually, I mean, I don't know if you're into the whole Rubik's Cube scene, but such things do exist. I know, I know, but I'm just okay. wondering if this is intended to be one of the harder four by four Rubik's cubes, or if this is a mistake. I have a one by one Rubik's cube. It's very easy to solve. I have a four by four Rubik's cube, but it's shaped by shaped like Homer's head. <laughs> what did I, I said? Two by two, right? Yeah, it's two by two. And it is, it's uh, really hard to solve. A friend of mine at work can solve a Rubik's cube in other under a minute. That's crazy to me. That's, that's, yeah. Well, you just have to, you have to figure out the formula, right? Whatever, I mean. He's been in competitions. Yeah, I can't do it. I can get two sides and then I'm done. And, and he hasn't won in competitions either. It means there are people that are even better than that. There are some freaky people out there. People who do it like with one in each hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, anyways, from outside, uh, Peter and Ileana are like, hey, come on outside. We're going to go chop wood. Don't you want to go chop wood with us? <laughs> That sounds like fun. 
Kitty's like, the professor's rich. He can have wood delivered. If I let my grade slip, it'll be one more excuse for the professor to keep me out of the X-Men. But I'll go mull some cider because that takes a pretty long time and I probably won't get any homework done then either. What does mulling some cider mean? Have you ever mulled wine? Nope. Uh, you you buy some. I don't know how to. I, I'm assuming cider is the same process, but you buy some very cheap wine and you essentially boil it uh, with some fruits, uh, probably like some oranges and stuff to give it a little flavor. And uh, then you have a very kind of uh, sweet tasting uh, warm wine. Okay. Yeah. You can so I, I imagine cider is much the same. Sure. That makes sense. It sounds actually kind of good. It's very good. Um, all right. So she's going to go mull cider. Uh, they go off, and so she's like, yeah, I'm so far behind in my studies. I wonder if I'll ever catch up. Well, that's the, problem that's with- the trouble with being a genius. Everybody expects you to produce. Between regular school and my training sessions with a professor in dance class, it's a miracle I've managed this long. I have an idea. How about she just drops dance class? <laughs> seems like a totally unnecessary uh, extracurricular activity. But doesn't she love to dance? Maybe she does. But I mean, you know, you got to give something at some point. I mean, and, and if she's worried about like um, uh, her athleticism, I mean, she's got to be getting it from the danger room, right? Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways. Uh, well, what am I thinking? The professor's right that I'm not going to be an X-Man. I should be a new mutant. Hmm. I better run a home scan program to see if I'm the only person in the house. I mean, if I'm going to be mulling all this hot cider and making munchies, she's really not going to get any homework done. (laughs) I'm going to cook some lemon bars, some brownies. Make sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, So she does a home scan to see uh, who's all there so she can figure out how much snacks to make. I register Professor Xavier and Lelandra in his study. Oh, they're kind of meshing into one. Wait, what? Ooh. (laughs) Oh, gross. Those silly adults. <laughs> but she also p- picks up an anomaly in the lower maintenance tables. She decides to go check it out as, as you know, Kitty does. There's an explosive heat anomaly coming out from the center of a Lilandra and Professor, if you get my meaning. <laughs> what is that? I better go check it out. Who's the, so she dresses up in her old uh, first generation X-Men costume, I guess. Who's this poster on the wall? It looks like Corsair. I have no idea. Um, I have a feeling that maybe it's – there's a person that's referenced in Dazzler, and I'm wondering if it's him, but I can't remember what his name is. So when we get to that part, I'll see if I can remember to find his name. Maybe it's Magnum P.I. Could be. Like a he's really a, bad drawing of Magnum. He's a very handsome. He's a very handsome man. Now, she hasn't worn this costume in ages uh, since she first entered the school, and she was so proud of it, but it's not special like her own costume. It's the ex-baby's uniform, and I'm just a part of the crowd. Mojo tunes in, and he's like, ex-babies? What a great idea. (laughs) I'll be back in six years. Huzzah! So she phases down into the mutant tunnel, or into the, the tunnel to the blackbird, I guess. The mutant tunnel. You're getting ahead of yourself. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Sorry. The the tunnel that leads to she the... runs into Caliban. <laughs> Actually, buried. that's really not that far away. Uh, but uh, so she notices that there's some wires that are frayed. Uh, and so she contacts the professor telepathically. Professor Xavier, can you hear my thoughts? I'm in Tunnel 3 Bravo. We may have a problem. 
I'm doing it, Kitty. <laughs> well, he's done because now he's out of his training outfit and he's in his suit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's been a long time, so it doesn't really take that much time. <laughs> anyways, Kitty, uh, I comprehend. You shouldn't be down there. Maybe I'll get Colossus. Eh, it's probably just rats. But stay with me, Professor. I'll check it out. Be careful, child. Gotcha. Yay! And that's when she's like, uh, Dragon, it's really you! Oh, another interesting point is she's Sprite again. So Ariel was for one issue. <laughs> Will she ever be Ariel again? I don't know. It's a good question. I thought so, but... I don't know. Yes, I'm just flipping ahead in my Marvel Masterworks. And she will put on that costume that she had in God Loves Man Kills in the next issue. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Anyways, it's Lockheed. Although his name isn't Lockheed yet. He's just a purple dragon. It's the purple dragon from a couple issues ago. Yeah. I thought we'd left you behind on Slee's world. I thought you'd been destroyed along with the planet. I was so sad. And uh, he's happy to see her. He's coddling her and she's snuggling him. And I got to be honest, my initial reaction to seeing a dragon, even a dragon who saved my life on a different planet, would be like, it would be um, caution. Uh, but not like, hey, come here and bite my face off if you're hungry. <laughs> yeah, but this this dragon said, oops. It does. You're right. It does say. Which is weird. <laughs> Is it, uh, is it, is he saying oops as in oops, or is that just like the noise he makes? Oops. Oops. Cool. <laughs> um, but before they can, uh, the reunion is cut short as a Sidri runs towards them. Sidri and Hunters, the aliens who tried to kill Scott's father months ago and wrecked this mansion in the process, says, uh, the professor in some explanatory dialogue. Sprite, flee from there at once. It's too late, Professor. While you were thinking all that stuff, I got blasted in the face. Hey, she says. Uh, she's she tries to phase through the ground, but she's unable to, and she hits the ground with a thud. The beam screwed up her power, and well, Wolverine, you spent hours and hours teaching me how to fight. Here's where that training pays off. And she decks one of the Sidri and Lockheed. Who I'm just gonna call Lockheed. Call roars into action against the other Sidri and breathes fire, splitting him down the middle. And they look kind of like pill bugs. I like, uh, Paul Smith's drawing here of Kitty where she's kind of getting up when she's like, Oh, I can't phase. I'm going to have to fight. She's got the lock of hair in front of her. Her lip is kind of curled outward, but yeah. it's also very simplistic. It reminds me of what's his name from classic X-Men. What's his name from classic X-Men? Yeah. The backup artist. Oh, oh, uh, John Bolton? Yes. Was that really it? Yes, that was <laughs> Okay, it. all right. One for one. <laughs> it reminds me of that, but I mean, it's also in his, I mean, if you look at this, other than the inking in the hair, there's like, I don't know, there's like 20 lines that comprise this whole image. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice image. It's very simple, but it's it's very effective. She's tough. She is tough. And this this, this illustration... Uh, illustrates that perfectly. <laughs> Anyways, yes. Uh, she fights the bug, and she ends up taking out one of the bugs, 
but a different one shoots her in the back. And that, does she actually take it out? Or like, is it unconscious? Does she kill it? Or is it just upside down and it can't flip over? It's like, yeah, it's like yeah. a turtle. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> uh, I, I, there's multiple baby Sidries that are running around. So I, I think maybe she killed one and another one's coming towards her. Uh, she gets shot and she's like, where's Lockheed? Did the Sidri zap him too? I got to get out of here. The creep's going to fire. I wonder if it'll hurt. So it does. Vrack. And then Yet. Colossus jumps in the way. In slow, zark. In slow motion, no doubt. Goes from Vrack to Zark. And he shouldn't say Nyet. He should be saying, no. <laughs> By the white wolf. Uh, he, in my armored form monster, I am composed of organic steel. I keep saying this every time I'm attacked <laughs> for some reason, but I'm going to continue. I'm not sure who I'm telling because Kitty already knows in the Sidri. I don't even know if it understands me. <laughs> but I'm going to keep talking. I'm not good with recognizing situation. <laughs> Anyways, he punches the crap out of the Sidri. Probably killing it. We don't know. I came as quickly as I could. The professor's I heard. The moment I heard the professor's mind call. I'm glad you did. Katya, you're injured. I'll heal. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, one of, uh, let's see. Uh, she, she, she says s- she had help fighting the Sidri and he's uh, Cyclops is one of the X-Men or the new mutants. Colossus, not Cyclops. He's in Florida. Oh, right. <laughs> I, that was the wrong accent for Cyclops anyway. <laughs> and uh, he, they turn around and here comes Lockheed walking out of a room. He kind of looks like a little kitty cat here. <laughs> Peter, the professor said the Sidri may have built a nest. We've got to find it before. Oh, gross. Burp. <laughs> Cyclops. Or, I'm Cyclops focused. <laughs> uh, Lockheed ate all of the Sidri, the baby Sidri. Remember how he was hunting and he was hungry and he was going to change that? Uh, yes. This is where he changed it and he finally got to hunt. That makes no sense. It makes all the sense in the world. And the reason I was able to connect that is because of this image of Lockheed on all fours with this big, satisfied, licking his lips grin. Yeah, but... He has... No, no, Adam. Adam, listen. (laughs) He has hunted and he has fed. The two things he wanted to do. But, okay, the problem I have <laughs> is that the dialogue box says that he is about to change that, which means, to me, the way that it is read is that he has intentions of hunting down something very specific and killing it, which would imply that he knew that the Sidri existed and I don't know. He, what it meant is he is about to eventually luckily stumble upon something to hunt and feed upon. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> That's what it meant. Is that what you did, you little dickens? Left me to fend for myself while you took care of the nest? Duh, it would appear so. So they head upstairs, they debrief with the professor, and Kitty's, or the professor's like, whoa, I can't even size scan that little creature. Actually, no, I'm, I'm skipping over probably the best line of the whole comic book. The professor's generally been so stuffy and professory that we get this line here where Kitty's like, we can't send Lockheed home, professor. He doesn't have anyone, and since the X-Men are partially responsible for that, we owe it to look after him. And he says, Eminently logical, Kitty. If I say no, will he eat me? Lockheed, don't you dare. 
And I find the professor, uh, the Lockheed Don't You Dare line stupid, but the professor's Will He Eat Me line to be kind of funny. I just focused on eminently logical, which makes him sound like Spock. <laughs> eminently logical, Captain. <laughs> so the dragon is impervious to telepathic probes. There's more to this dragon than meets the eyes. Uh, but but enough about the dragon, <laughs> the crazy space dragon that we're just going to be like, yeah, you can keep him for a pet. We don't have to worry about space diseases or <laughs> him eating anybody or being housebroken. I mean, does he know to go outside to do his business? Nightcrawler bursts in, everybody wears my pterodactyl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but anyways, we switch topics and the professor's like, uh, oh, you can be an X-Man. I've never seen you in action before, Kitty. You show a maturity that belies your years. Perhaps I was in error assigning you to the New Mutants. Uh, you get a temporary uh, probationary status as an X-Man if you blow it and you're back on the New Mutants. Is that acceptable? You bet it is! Says Lockheed. Meanwhile, Anchorage, Alaska. Corsair's finished clothes shopping because now he's got plain clothes on. Yes. And uh, they, they, somebody here is complaining that the airplane's late and dad's going on about, well, it's the shipping season, so everything's busy and blah de blah de blah Look, here comes somebody now. And then, uh, How does Corsair know all this? He's been in space. He asked a lot of questions. He made some phone calls. Should be all like, Scott, where have you been? <laughs> you weren't making love with that Lee Forrester girl again. Why are you such a tease? Um, so somebody, one of them, I think, uh, I think it's Alex says, uh, pop looking over at a redheaded woman whose face we can't see and says, pop, is that our grandmother? Mm. Should we, should we do the voice? <laughs> is it time to return the voice? Uh, yes, you have to. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, it's technically not the, the voice, but well, I guess it. Guess it could be. Read, you got to read the thought bubble now. So this mystery woman in the red hair says, "Hi, I'm here to collect the Summers Clan. Are you them?" Oh no, I'm Scott. Alex, I'm Chris Summers, their father. Have I gone mad? But Dad and Alex see it too. Her voice, her face—it can't be. It's impossible. Welcome to Alaska. My name's Madeline Pryor. It's back, ladies and gentlemen. So, I mean, we have to because Cyclops confirms that her face and her voice is the same. That's true. Yeah. So begins uh, one of my favorite, I don't know, plot devices or plot mechanic characters, Madeline Pryor. And this is not the same Madeline Pryor from Avengers Annual Number 10. Oh, no. <laughs> she just seems to have the same name. That was Maddie Pryor. True. True enough. Not Madeline. Who was a early clone. <laughs> I see. Again, I don't know why they never worked that into the story. Next issue, Angel, Angel and the Ugloids. Yes, sir. Does your Masterworks have Kitty's costume corner? It does, actually. I was, I was going to skip that. Actually, oh. no. The Masterworks does not have Kitty's costume corner. Oh. I wonder if that's in the back here. No, it's in the back. Oh, okay. Also has a alternate cover for X-Men 169, which we will read next time. Ooh. And 
an alternate cover for one seventy five and a bunch of interviews. There's a ton of interviews here. Huh. I got interviewed. Did you get interviewed? Yeah, they were like, Hey, uh Adam, you co host a fairly uh well known podcast and um you're making ways in the X-Men world. Uh, so what do you think of Marvel Masterworks number nine? And I said, I collect the omnibus. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> do you remember that horrible sketch uh, of Frank Miller's from Wolverine? Of The horrible sketch of Wolverine? Yes, I do. That's also here. And I think it's just because, um, well, we're coming up to the Wolverine miniseries. Does it collect a bunch of like classic X-Men art? Nope. Or is it just a random... Okay. All right. It says Wolverine pinup from Classic X-Men number 22 by Frank Miller. So I think it's only reason it's there is because of Frank Miller. Wow. They really should have looked at it before they put it in there. There's also some alternate covers from the Wolverine series, some interviews from Frank Miller, Kitty's Costume Corner, an alternate version, not alternate version, alternate cover for God Loves, Man Kills. Two of them, as a matter of fact. God Kills, Man Loves was the original title. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, apparently there was a foreword in the 2003 version of God Loves, Man Kills, which features uh, a very long introduction by Chris Claremont. Man, we should have read all of this stuff before we did the... We should have really made that a three-hour podcast. <laughs> oh, there's additional art, an unused uh, pencil art by Neil Adams from God Loves, Man Kills. If there's a demand, we'll, we'll, we'll go back. And do it. We'll do a supplemental episode. There's a whole bunch of pages. 158 or 59 or B or whatever. Man, I should really look through this thing before we jump into these podcasts. This, this thing is like, all right, folks, you definitely need to do yourself a favor and pick up this uh, this this masterwork. It's well, it, yeah, the omnibus will probably have all the same material when it eventually comes out. But yeah, that's that's. I usually tried to go through the omnibus. I. You know what? I had the same thing that you did, which is I didn't really do it for the first one. And then I, when we got to the end of the first one, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of cool stuff here. And then when I got the second one, I was like, I'm going to do this first. Man, God Loves Man Kills would have been completely different with Neil Adams. All right, anyways, um, enough of that. <clears throat> uh, what else we got, Adam? Um, it's been so long since we've had a normal issue. <laughs> uh, we got a letter from... Uh, Gabriel Ochoa. Okay. As he, uh, or, or she. Is it a he or a she? They say they giggled like a little schoolgirl, so I'm going to gonna have to assume that that's maybe meaning that they are a girl. I guess it would be Gabrielle, right? So this is a, this is a guy. I, I giggle like a schoolgirl all the time. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Just threw me off. Anyway, he just says he wants to send out a shout out to his two favorite mutants, Adam and Jeremy. That's us. Hey. We're phenomenal. Wow. When he came across our podcast, he giggled like a schoolgirl, and now he's hooked. He's listening to Danger Room number 84. He's been listening to the podcast religiously, and he has some questions and hopes they haven't already been answered. Uh, Number one is if... Oh, this is a good one. I thought I was going to prepare for this. Darn it. <laughs> if you were the creators of the original five X-Men, would you change any of the characters' power sets? This includes fine-tuning their current powers and the strength of their powers. And if so, how would you go about implementing that to their uniforms? That's a really good question. I think 
I would put some limitations on Iceman. Because even as ineffective as he was in those earlier issues, there's just no reality surrounding his ice generation and ice manipulation. That always kind of bugged me. So you you would uh, you would go for more science based. A little bit more science, like Beast, I think is fine. Cyclops is an ever developing character. I mean, it takes him a very long time before they're like, okay, his powers are force based, and he's got this spatial recognition. So I don't know. I'm all good with that. I mean, I guess if they could have incorporated that earlier into the series, that'd have been good. No, I think the X Men as a whole were a fairly well balanced team. I don't know if I would change much of anything. I would make it. Four girls and one guy. Here's what I, I, that's a great idea, Adam, but I would have never sold comics in 1964. (laughs) I think that the biggest thing, and I think the thing that they've struggled with for the entire series is the professor because the professor is too powerful. And I think they set themselves up for that because if you reread those first 10 issues, it's always the professor who saves the day. And it's not until like later on where they finally send him away, where the X-Men finally win a mission uh, and then they eventually, they, they continually send him out to space or send him across the planet or send him away or depower him or shun him or whatever. But it always seems like they're trying to get rid of him because every time he's part of the team, he's just like, okay, mind wipe, moving on. I would have made the professor one of the original X-Men, but young and not in control of his powers. So who or what would have been the glue that bound the team together. Magneto. <laughs> so this is a group of evil mutants? No, they're they're good mutants, but Magneto's a good guy. So who do they fight? Um Juggernaut, I don't know. Um <laughs> I don't know, you could come up with some sort of villain. Okay. Uh Mr. Sinister. Oh, introduce him way earlier. Yeah. Okay. Did, did, yeah, all right. Apocalypse. Next, next question. Mojo. I'll take Mojo. <laughs> Love Mojo. Uh, question number two. Wolverine's claws didn't phase the Juggernaut, but do you think they can do damage to Colossus's organic steel skin? I think that's this has been covered in the comic. Maybe not the issues that we've done yet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Wolverine's claws can do damage to Colossus's organic steel skin. We have, in fact, covered this when they were in Limbo. Sim takes a claw from Wolverine's skeleton, throws it at Colossus, Colossus, and it pierces Colossus's organic steel skin. Good recall. Yes. So I'm going to say it could cut Colossus. He's got a couple of recon ideas. So like Cyclops' visor, uh, they he believes that the writers missed the opportunity to explain Cyclops' powers. Wouldn't it have been cool to see Xavier testing materials with Cyclops in the danger room only to find out that Ruby Quartz reflects his power. Yes, but I think it was uh, Diamond Jack who actually stumbled across the Ruby Quartz classes, wasn't it? I don't think uh, that was part of that, actually. I don't I don't think Ruby Quartz ever really got... I mean, it was always just there. Mm. Maybe or, uh, Jack of Diamonds is what he was, was his name. Right, Jack of Diamonds. So Jack of Diamonds. Maybe... Maybe through retcons and classic X-Men's, I think he, his optometrist eventually just gave him some Ruby Quartz glasses because they seem to do good for his headaches. Right. Yeah. Which I, I, I agree with uh, Gabriel, though, that uh, that would have been kind of neat. So then you're assuming that the professor just finds this kid who's just 
blasting things out of control. Well, maybe in the beginning, the power sometimes is on and sometimes is off. Oh, okay. So maybe like Hulk-wise, whenever he gets really angry or emotional, he's just like blasting with his eyes. Right. Uh, but And it's getting worse and worse and worse and landing, lasting for a longer amount of time. Uh, that would have been a cool idea. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he, another retcon with Jean Grey. What I'm about to say may be offensive to some Marvel girl super fans, but I hate how Jean Grey gets her telepathy from Pro- Professor X. I, I think we do too. Uh, yeah. And I feel like they already retcon that out. So in the run that we're reading now, I don't think that they've addressed it. Yeah, I think they just assumed that Jean Grey always had telekinesis and maybe maybe it was just latent in the beginning. No, I don't think so. I think uh, as far as we know, as we have read these comic books, the professor gave him a part, gave her a part of his power. But in the future, it will be retconned that there was a latent mutant ability that the professor put blocks on because she was unable to control the power. And he put the blocks on... Uh, while he worked with her in private to hone those abilities, and only when he had to go do his mission did he unlock those barriers. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, but that's that hasn't like that retcon or that explanation hasn't happened yet, and but it, but it will. Uh, somebody somewhere was nerdy enough to go back and be like, "I don't like this." <laughs> well, it's stupid. Well, it is. It is stupid, <laughs> but it's it's weird that people like bother retconning things. Uh, in in this um. Uh, Marvel Masterworks, uh, Louise Jones opens up, she reads the introduction, or she writes the introduction, rather. I haven't read all of it, but what she said was when she was invited to be uh, the editor on X-Men, what she did was she took all of the bound X-Men comics that they had at Marvel, she took them all home and read them. So I think if you're an editor on the comic, I think that's like your job, is to like read the entire pack catalog, so that you can go forward and be like, you know... Here are some things that you can work with. There's this character. There's this event. This thing never got tied up. And by the way, did you know that the professor gave Jean Grey some of his telekinetic or telepathic ability? We should fix that. <laughs> and then Gabriel goes on to give an example of a what might have happened with Jean, which ends with it's it's very similar to what actually happened with Jean's friend. They talk about. Being at a, a mall parking lot, and Gene, Gene's power emerges, and uh, a car hits her friend. But then it turns out that it's her powers that accidentally kill her best friend, or something like that. It's very similar to uh, Annie Richards. Yeah, except that Gene, Gene didn't cause that. No. So. Well, she didn't cause it, but didn't she like throw the frisbee in the road, and Annie was running and not looking. Well, well, Gabriel, I'm never going to be able to pronounce that name. Uh, Gabriel suggests that um, it wasn't the car accident at all that caused the death of her friend. It was Jean Grey telepathically uh, or telekinetically blocking the car Mm. and and doing it in such a way that accidentally kills her best friend. Yeah, I could see that. That creates a, a traumatic event in Jean's life. She's unable to control herself. That's when the professor comes in and puts those psychic blocks in there and, and probably erases her mind so that she can at least come to grips with what she's done or become mature enough to accept what she's done. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That would have been good. So that, that that's that's the letter. Okay. Um, on a more serious note, keep up the good work, guys. 
your fan, Gabriel Ochoa. Well, thank you, man. <laughs> uh, anybody else? I, uh, I I have an update on the um, the BAMF, oh. Jake Ibe's BAMF. I, I sent you the picture. I haven't posted it on Facebook yet, but I suppose by the time this gets released, I will have released it. Um, it's not very good. <laughs> uh it's it's okay it's uh it's a bit difficult to get down um what we ended up doing actually was adding uh uh what is that so, soda uh sprite tonic water yeah uh, club soda club we soda. added club soda to it and that that made it a lot more palatable but the other weird thing was that it was and you you noticed this was that it was a it was a greenish blue mm-hmm. color which doesn't seem that appropriate at all right so uh i don't know what to say jake are you still working on it or are you moving on me yeah i'm um i've got a nice purpley drink um but i don't know what alcohol to put in it you have a nice purpley drink that's hard to get down no 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 that 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 was jake ib's drink oh okay that that was hard to get down um I think just I don't know why actually maybe it was a weird combination of three different alcohols plus plus lemons. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, but but my drink is not hard to get down. But I'm not sure if it's very tasty yet, and I haven't added any alcohol to it, so I need to figure that out. Well, I mean, you can just throw vodka in it. I mean, vodka's tasteless. Well, right, but I want to uh, you know relate it to Nightcrawler somehow. Oh. What's what's the most German drink you can think of? Schnapps or beer. <laughs> Schnapps? Well, probably not beer. Although they do have some good beer mixers. Bitters. Although bitters mm. is more English than German, but Well. I probably won't get much farther than <laughs> All right. Uh yeah. All right. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so. You can email us at uh, danger room at redcatproductions.com visit us at xmenpodcast.com you can subscribe to us on itunes just go into itunes type in danger room under the podcast section will be the first thing that comes up from there you can subscribe or leave us a review or what have you we're at facebook facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or you can follow us on twitter at danger room go and if you're a stitcher kind of person we're we're on stitcher and if you want to leave us a voice message, which would be awesome, that'll guarantee that your voice gets heard on the podcast, uh, you can do so by calling us at 501-GET-X-MEN. And remember, that's a Google voice number, so nobody monitors that. It's not like I'm going to answer it and be like, hello, I don't want any. <laughs> you are going to go straight to voicemail, and you can leave your clever little message there. And it better be clever and little. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say I I did I did drink it it got better as I went. Well, alcohol. But I think that that's the rule of alcohol. Yes, all <laughs> drinks, no matter how bad they are, get better over time, right? So, yeah. uh, I've made some bad, not bad for you, but poor tasting wine. Uh, and the first few drinks, you're like, ugh. But you get to the fourth and fifth, you're like, yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, it was exactly. It was the the first sip. I was like, I think I made a like a like the the the, the face you make when you suck on a lemon. Oh. I think I made that face. But then the second, third, and fourth sips, it got a little better. And then we added the club soda, and it was darn palatable. Hmm. Well, I read Dazzler number twenty six. Tell me about it. Well, not a whole lot of 
stuff happens here. The the most interesting thing uh, is this begins, maybe doesn't begin, but it's where I first noticed that Frank Springer does pencils. Uh, and I'm going to tra- keep track of the um, the uh, creative staff because I think there's some controversy going on in the creative staff of this book. And I don't what? think it bodes well for Frank Springer. Why is that? I'm just setting it up, Adam. You'll have to wait till next week to find out. Okay. I noticed that this issue had Henry Peter Gyrich. Yes, it does. In a nutshell, uh, Dazzler's sister, who she just became reacquainted with, uh, thinks that she may be a mutant. She's been having some headaches and stuff. Uh, Well, the headaches are getting worse, and while she's heading off to Dazzler's hotel... Uh, she walks down an alleyway, and a bum tries to accost her. This is Dazzler's sister. Uh, her mutant powers manifest for the first time, and apparently she has the mutant ability to kill people. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so she just touches his face, and he goes down. He can't breathe. He's tro- choking. Uh, apparently his heart might be stopping. Um, and... She thinks he's dead. The news reports that this derelict is dead. And that's where Henry Peter Gyrick gets uh, involved, where he's like, mutants! Oh, there's mutants everywhere! He's crazy. It was a pretty bad depiction, I thought. Yes. And Peter Gyrick will not let them get away with it. As the head of Project Wide Awake, it's my duty to protect the nation from the menace of mutants! Today we begin in earnest. Today we unleash the mutant hunters. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Not the sentinels, but the mutant hunters. <laughs> yes, and so there's a, a derelict death of mystery. So the newspaper is reporting that the person that Dazzler's sister killed is dead. Uh, and the guy that's, I guess, Henry Peters' uh, assistant is like, shouldn't we consult with Senator Kelly's community, committee on mutants first? Henry Peters' like, no, we've, waste, we've got no time for that. I'm going to save this country, and I'll release the mutant hunters. So Dazzler and uh, her sister, whose name I forget, they, they're on the lam. They go elsewhere. They're, they're in hiding. Uh, there's a scene where Dazzler's sister takes her clothes off, of course. Because it's the Dazzler comic book. And then uh, a little kitty cat comes in the room and Dazzler's sister is playing with the kitty cat until the kitty cat scratches her palm and she gets really angry and she, uh, I can't really tell because it looks like she wants to kill this cat. But when the cat's dead, she's like, oh my God, the cat's dead. I've killed again. Oh my God. It's really weird. I don't think she wanted to kill the cat. I just think she freaked out. Well, she's like, you hurt me. You hurt me. And then she grabs the cat like she's holding the cat by its neck. And then she unleashes her power and that power kills the cat. So it's, it's I, you know, people get mad when cats scratch them. Yeah. So Dazzler shows up in a disguise that she's purchased and says like, okay, well, we're going to have to run again. Uh, that's when the mutant hunters come, but uh, it's too late because Dazzler and her sister are off on a bus and they're like, oh, there's got to be some mutant calling card. They're always leaving some evidence behind. And that's when they find the cat. Uh, and then the one mutant hunter says, the cat, frozen yet not cold. It's undergone some kind of molecular transformation. So I think what they're saying is that maybe Dazzler's sister is not killing people, just putting them in a molecular transformation form. So maybe the derelict that the newspaper reported earlier isn't truly dead. 
who knows who cares that's it <laughs> uh i read defenders number 118 yeah and um beast wasn't in it oh but it was a good sci-fi issue. It was about Damon Hellstrom. I, I actually enjoyed it, um, but I'm not going to talk about it because Beast wasn't in it. So if you like The Defenders, 118 was a good one. Well, there you go. There you go. Good story. <laughs> Thanks. Well, then, uh, is that all you got, Adam? That's all I got. Well, until next time, then, the danger room is closed. Just a two